Good morning, everyone. Okay. So, I was trying to figure out earlier on, I was like, what is it over the last couple of weeks, everyone's sitting on this side and hardly anyone's this side, and then I realized, ah, the sun. <laughs> so, anyway, try to stay warm out there. It is... It's a joy. It's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to worship with you. And it's a joy to open God's Word with you. As Ensranza said, we are continuing our way through the book of Philippians. And we've reached a very practical, very helpful passage today about the Christian life. There's many inaccurate and unhelpful ways of thinking about the Christian life. But it's very important that we get this right, that we think biblically about this. Because without an accurate biblical understanding of how to live for Christ, how to persevere in the Christian life, and how to overcome our sin and grow, we will likely find ourselves stuck and discouraged. An accurate understanding of these things, on the other hand, will give us a realistic will give us realistic expectations help us to make meaningful progress in our walk with God and keep us encouraged and hopeful even when circumstances are difficult the title for today's sermon is how does the christian life work how does the christian life work and our first point is we must put our full effort into following Christ. We must put our full effort into following Christ. When we were lost in Philippians a few weeks ago, we were in one of the most beautiful and awe-inspiring passages of the entire Bible. We saw how much Jesus descended and gave up, how much he humbled himself in order to serve us on the cross and save us from our sins. And we saw that God the Father rewarded him for that obedience by exalting him to the place of highest honor and authority in the entire universe. That was Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And now, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore is the first word of this passage. And I, if, it's, if, if this isn't already something that... You guys expect us to say, uh, I, I hope it gets to that point where, where this is just, oh, the preacher's saying this again and again, because this is such a helpful uh, tool for Bible study. When you see a therefore in the text, you need to ask yourself, what is the therefore there for? Okay. What is the therefore there for? And that's because, therefore, is marking a connection between this passage and the passage just before it. 
What connection does the author see between this passage and the previous passage? Therefore, is essentially saying, in light of what we have just seen, it makes sense that you should do one, two, three. Or it makes sense that you should believe one, two, three. Or one, two, three flows out of what I've just said. So, in light of Jesus' amazing obedience to God the Father, as the passage put it, his obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, we must also obey. We must, as this passage says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But what does that mean? Now we, we should start with looking at what it doesn't mean. We know from many other Bible passages that it cannot mean uh, uh, your, your justification. It cannot mean working out your forgiveness of sins uh, in the sense that you must do one, two, three in order to be saved. Jesus and Jesus alone lived a life that met all of God's holy and righteous standards. His life alone was able to please God fully and to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins. As one of our recent memory verses put it, salvation is not of works so that no one may boast. Rather, we are saved by faith in Jesus and what he's done for us alone. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is all of God's grace. What Paul is talking about here then is rather living out our salvation. This passage is similar to other passages that talk about walking worthy of the gospel or walking worthy of the calling we have received. Even just a few uh, verses earlier, Philippians 1.27 talks about this. It's about living in a manner that matches up with the truth of the gospel and what God has done for us. That makes sense in light of all that God has done for us. And Paul tells us here that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Now, many of you will know that the fear of God is a major theme throughout the Bible. We see it a lot in the Old Testament as well. It's not about being afraid of God in the sense of, of running from Him or anticipate him, anticipating Him doing something mean or malicious at any moment. Not, not at all. Rather, it's about recognizing His greatness, His power, His omniscience, His sovereign rule over all things. And taking him very, very seriously. He is the greatest being in the entire universe. You stand in awe of God and you want to obey him no matter what. Because you recognize he knows best and he is worthy of your total allegiance. So working out your salvation then with fear and trembling refers then both to diligent work done with full effort, taking the Christian life very seriously, and to the fact that our efforts are fueled by a high view of God and an amazement at Him that leads to joyful 
wholehearted obedience. And it's hard work, brothers and sisters, that God calls us to. That's an important thing to make clear right in the beginning. Sometimes our expectations of the Christian life are that it shouldn't ask much of us. It shouldn't be that hard. For many of us, we grow up thinking about Christianity as something that's just a few hours on a Sunday. We need to remember that Jesus, though, tells us unapologetically, as we saw in our memory verse earlier, that he's calling us to love him more than anything and everything else, and to be willing to forsake anything and everything else if we need to in order to follow him. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him, to die to self and follow him. He is our Lord, our master. As scripture tells us, we're called to do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Christian life is all-encompassing, and it requires hard work. A mindset of let go and let God, is it's, it's a widespread common mindset where you might think, okay, the, best, the, the way I'm going to grow is just to let God take care of this. But when the Bible describes the Christian life, it doesn't describe it that way. It points again and again and again to diligent, hard work. The Christian life is described as a race that we have to run with perseverance. We have to fight the sin that entangles us and trips us up. We have to rid ourselves of unnecessary burdens that slow us down. Okay, things that might not be wrong in and of themselves, but if we're honest with ourselves, they're a distraction for us from the Christian life. Well, there's something that, that can be potentially tempting to us. Things that just dull our love for Christ. We are compared to soldiers in war who must be careful to stay focused on our mission and not get distracted by civilian pursuits. That's 2 Timothy 2 verse 4. We are compared to a hard-working farmer. We're told to flee temptation, to run from it. We're told to make no provision for the flesh. Now think about this. Basically what this is telling us, uh, it's describing our sinful nature, our flesh, as almost being like, like alive. And it's saying, don't feed your sinful nature. If you feed it, it gets stronger. In other words, we need to put ourselves then constantly thinking about what situations uh, am I in that, that are, are actually make it harder for me to follow Christ because I'm actually putting myself in a position of temptation. And that can, we know, we, that extends to things like even the sort of, uh, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good morals, we're warned in the scriptures. We need to be mindful about who we're spending time with. We think of a psalm like Psalm 1 that talks about, uh, you know, giving, giving and spending time with people who scoff at God and mock God and the effect that that has on you. 
Matthew 5 calls us to a mindset of radical amputation. Radical amputation. Now, basically here what Jesus does is he uses amputation uh, as a way of illustrating just how seriously we need to fight against anything that is a temptation. Anything that can drag us, draw us away from him. It tells us, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we need to not just consider what is lawful, right? It's not just a question of, is it sinful if I do this? Is it wrong if I do this? But rather, what is helpful to me in my walk with God? And I trust from all this you can see that this is, this is very all-encompassing. Uh, this requires living life with our minds engaged. Evaluating, where am I? What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I thinking? What, what thought processes are going through my mind? I need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, Scripture tells me. And I need to instead set my thoughts on things above. The Christian life cannot just be lived meandering down the road, drifting down a stream. We need to be engaged. We need to be living our lives on purpose, alert, attentive, engaged. And brothers and sisters, if you're discouraged by the fact that it takes so much work, if you're discouraged by the fact that you still have to fight so hard against sin, don't be. Because this is the picture the New Testament gives us of the Christian life. We should expect it to be hard work. We should expect it to be hard work for the long run. You have been, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have been justified. You are forgiven of your sins. You are holy in God's eyes. But you are not holy in practice yet. And you won't be fully until you are glorified. Right? Until you are glorified. During this stage now, your sanctification, you should expect to work hard, to put sin to death. And to fight for holiness and growth in Christ-likeness. That is normal. And we can't just live our Christian life by disciplines and by uh, calling ourselves to hard work. We need to cultivate our heart for God. If you notice Paul's pattern in his letters, he tells us amazing things about God again and again in the first few chapters of his letters before he turns to what he wants us to do in light of those amazing truths. Again and again, right before we get to the therefore, he tells us amazing truths about God and what he's done for us. Even in this passage, as we've seen, he tells us of Jesus' uh, Jesus's amazing sacrifice. 
to love and serve us and to glorify God. And then he says, therefore, in light of this, we need to know who we are living for before we can be motivated to live for him. That makes sense, doesn't it? I, I can tell you all day you need to do one, two, and three. But why? <laughs> why? Why is it worth it? It's worth it because of who our God is. It is worth it because of all he's done for us. It is worth it because of the eternity we have waiting for us. But we have to live in light of those truths. Otherwise, our Christianity just becomes nothing but religiosity. Scripture calls us to set our thoughts on things above, to set our hope fully on the grace that is to come when Jesus returns, and to renew our minds. That's how Romans 12 tells us we are transformed, by the renewing of our minds. In other words, by by thinking on truth, by thinking on truth that then fuels our hearts and transforms our actions. Brothers and sisters, this is why the means of grace is so important. It's why gathering together for worship is so important. Uh, Why the, the, the book of Hebrews tells us not to neglect this. Because this is an opportunity to come and to sit under God's word and be reminded of truth and have our minds renewed. It's an opportunity to sing truth and be uh, and be uh, reminded of, of 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 what I believe. That's just been picking up dust at the back of my mind during the week and and just not fresh. When I get to remind myself and and be reminded by brothers and sisters alongside me who are singing those same truths with all their hearts. It's why we have the scriptures. It's why God gave us fellowship, right? To be speaking truth into one another's lives and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We need to put fuel on the fire of our love for God and our fear of Him. Okay, secondly, how does the Christian life work? God works in you. God works in you. But doesn't that contradict our first point, that we need to put our full effort into following Christ? Why do we need to do that if God works in us. And the simple answer to that is because this is how God has ordained for this to work. He could have done it many other ways, but this is how God has ordained for this to work. Much like the fact that God knows the future, and yet we still pray. And God has decided in His sovereign plan that He's going to bring about certain things in the future as answers to our prayer. God brings about growth in our life as we work hard and diligently to grow. This passage tells us that God is at work in us both to will, both to will and to work. What do we mean by to will? God gives us the desire to live for Him. The desire to live for Him. And to work, He helps us succeed at growing 
and obeying him. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. But this passage is talking about general providence, how God works in general in the world. Um, And what we're talking about here takes us to an even further level. Because we're not just talking about how God is at work in the life of an unbeliever, an unregenerate person. We're talking about how God is at work in Christians who have been born again, who have been indwelt by His Spirit. The book of Ephesians literally talks about this as if we've been resurrected from the dead, as if our blind eyes have been opened. We've been given the power to live for God and to change with His indwelling Spirit. What did Jesus tell His disciples just before He returned to the Father? He said the Holy Spirit would come and would empower them and help them to live the Christian life. What are we seeking to grow in in our Christian lives? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. These are, these are, these are, 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 are uh, attributes, ways of living that are produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit. What has God given us to enable us to minister to one another? Spiritual gifts. Gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. Gifts uh, that, that, are, that, are, that are enabled by the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is supernaturally at work in our lives. The Christian life requires our full effort, and God is at work in us. So how should we approach this then practically? How should we live in light of these truths? First of all, diligent work, full effort. Again, even if it doesn't quite seem to make sense that I should give 100% effort, even as God's at work in me, that's God's design. That's what He's called us to. That's how He said He will do it. Secondly, dependent prayer. Dependent prayer. God, I need You. I can't do this without You. I need You to help me desire this as I should. I need you to help me to love you and love others as I should. I need you to help me to want to live a life of sacrificial love more than I want my comforts. I need to help you I need your help to love you more than I love my sin. And to do, I need wisdom, God. I want to pursue this but everything I've tried so far hasn't worked. Give me wisdom. Please, God. And he's promised that he will. I need strength. I need self-control. I need perseverance. I need courage. I need courage to have this difficult conversation, to share the gospel. I need your help to not be anxious right now. I need you to empower me to use the gifts you've given me. And I need you to bless my efforts and to help me be a blessing. 
God, I need you. Thirdly, humility. Let any man who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Brothers and sisters, don't start thinking you can do this without God's help. I'm ashamed to say how much I've seen this pattern in my own life, right? That it's just when I'm starting to make real progress in an area, starting to, to uh, uh, almost have, have, have no struggle in, in the area, that that's exactly when I slip up again. <laughs> because I start thinking to myself, I've got this. I stop depending on the Lord. And I, I forget, I forget what a sinful, weak person I am. As soon as we start thinking that way and start depending on God less, we're on dangerous ground. Fourthly, confident, courageous, perseverant hope. Okay? Confident, Courageous, perseverant hope. Look at the beginning of verse 13. It says, for, or because, right? For, because. Verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13 gives you a motivation for, because. It gives you hope. Work out your salvation because God is at work within you. God is at work within you. Think about that for a moment. The God who spoke the universe into existence. The God who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. The God who raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest authority over the entire universe. God is at work within you. And therefore, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of like Paul saying, fight because God is at work within you. And therefore, if you fight, you will win. If you fight, you will win. Or to use uh, another analogy from the New Testament, run. Run the race. Keep running the race. God is at work within you, so if you run, you will finish the race. The answer to this is not let go, let God. And it's not... Let me, let me work my tail off. Let me, let me work super, super hard because I've got this. No. <laughs> work with full effort, with full diligence, knowing that God is at work within you. And because of that, you will succeed. Don't lose hope. Don't allow yourself to lose hope. Even, even with, um, there's a biblical counselor, David Powlison, who would talk about what he, he came up with a term. He said, every one of us has a characteristic flesh. Uh, and what he means is that for different people, we've got different struggles that are, are 
the struggles that we feel are, are, are maybe the ones that just we'll never make progress in, you know, the ones that are the hardest for us, whether you're somebody who's particularly inclined towards irritability or to laziness or to losing your temper, to lustfulness. These sins that just continually get you discouraged and make you want to give up hope. Remember, the Bible hasn't told us, it hasn't set a timeline on, on, on the progress you're going to make. Apart from the fact that when Christ returns, when we see Him, we will be like Him. When we're raised, we will be fully glorified and fully conformed to the image of Christ. But between now and then, the key is that we're making progress. We're making progress. And even if it's slow, even if it's very incremental, we're making progress. And you can, you will make progress if you're diligent to fight, if you're diligent to run, because God is at work within you. Okay? Because God is at work within you. Be encouraged. One day you will be glorified. And between now and then, you will make progress because God is at work within you. Amen.